0: We're now officially in phase three. Phase three is something many of us have been anticipating. As we enter into this phase, many establishments that have been closed are now open, albeit with often alternate means of service or or with uh, some restrictions or protocols in place. But as we've entered into phase three, many things have changed. I mean, when you think the, of the sports world, just for a moment, right, the NBA the NHL, Major League Baseball, all have altered or modified seasons of some sort. School boards right now are still coming up with plans to be approved by the Ministry of Education for the fall. Everyone's concerned about a second wave. And as we're coming to phase three of the pandemic of COVID-19, at least in the region of Ontario, we've all experienced loss and pain through COVID-19, some must have experienced the loss of actually having loved ones pass on. I've shared with you previously how my one aunt had passed away and my one older cousin who acted in essence like an uncle had passed on, one with COVID, one with cancer. And so then in experiencing that loss and pain, often in times where I would take uh, the funeral for the family and then there isn't even a funeral. There isn't some type of gathering because of when they had passed on. And then you're not only grieving their loss, but you're grieving the normal process by which we would typically celebrate someone's life. Some have experienced loss of income, some strained relationships. Others have felt forgotten or abandoned by some. Some have faced a whole matter of, of, of identity crisis as maybe there's been even job loss and they're unemployed. And as they find themselves unemployed, they're trying to sort out who they are and what that looks like. And so all of us have experienced some form of grief and loss, pain, through COVID-19. And there are many ways of dealing with pain and loss. Some people ignore it, they suppress it. They act as if it never occurred, but that doesn't get rid of pain or loss. And usually that bottling up of pain or loss eventually leads to an explosion of some type. Some people find themselves in the place where they simply complain. They come and they complain. But if you complain with no resolve, if you complain with no thought of what may solve this at the end of the problem you have, complain research would show only leads to increased anxiety and stress. Because if all you do is complain and never end with some type of problem solving mechanism for that which you are complaining about, you're in a continual state of increased stress, continual state of increased anxiety. Eugene Peterson, in one of his books, writes this about pity, which is often a storm of of complaint or self-pity. He says this in contrasting pity and self-pity. Pity "Pity is one of the most noblest emotions available to human beings. Self-pity is possibly the most ignoble. Pity is the capacity to enter into the pain of another in order to do something about it. Self-pity is an incapacity, a crippling emotional disease that severely distorts our perception of reality. Pity discovers the need in others for love and healing, and then fashions speech and action that brings strength. Self-pity reduces the universe to a personal wound that is displayed as proof of significance. Pity is adrenaline for acts of mercy Self-pity is a narcotic that leaves its addicts wasted and derelict. What a great quote. And so some people find themselves trying to ignore and suppress the very things that they've experienced loss and pain around. Some people complain and wallow in self-pity. But there's a third way of dealing. There's a way of handling grief that scriptural and biblical that God has granted us that actually allows for the healing that he longs for us to experience. And so scripture calls us to lament. And so as we begin this series, Renewed Rhythms, this morning we wanna look at the, the rhythm of lament, the rhythm of lament. And many of you will know that back in the spring we looked at lament on a couple of occasions, specifically, I looked at lament through the Book of Lamentations. This morning, I want you to turn to Psalm 77, the 77 Psalm, as we take a look at how God calls us to lament. And it's a gift that he has given us that's often neglected and underused. But it's a gift that he has given us as a necessary means of dealing with pain and anguish because we're able to cry to our God in our pain, who is our anchor and our hope so that as we cry to him in our pain, we find him. Mark Vrogop, I quoted this back in the spring, says this, I love this quote. You might think that lament is the opposite of praise. It isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise that we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. The space between brokenness and God's mercy is where this song is sung. Think of of lament as the transition between pain and promise. And so we're all broken, we all face disappointments. Sometimes the disappointment is the fact that you were going to get married through COVID and what do you do now? How do you handle your schooling? You graduated in the spring and there was no real celebration. Sometimes just finding out there's a crippling disease, there's a sudden heart attack. There's things we've already mentioned, job loss, relational strain, friends that have walked away from you. And as we begin to look at renewed rhythms, what are some of the things that God has taught us through COVID that coming out of COVID, we should continue to experience as these renewed rhythms of blessings that he's granted us. One of them I believe is the blessing of lament. The blessing of lament to be able to not complain, but rather take the grief we're experiencing, cry out to God in our pain so that he can remind us of his promise. You see, God wants us to come to him honestly. So as I come to Psalm 77, I've just entitled this first portion verses one and two, the honest struggle, the honest struggle. One of the things I greatly appreciated about Julia Bear when she was passing with cancer and writing in her blog anchor of my soul was Julia talked honestly about how she longed to have children. She longed to be able to age with Andy. She longed to be able to be a grandparent and how she would lament missing those things, but she found her hope anchored securely in the rock of our salvation, our God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit indwelling her. This Psalm is written by Asaph. He is a prominent Levite who is a singer and seer in King David's court. You find him mentioned a number of times, specifically in First Chronicles, but also in Second Chronicles. And he writes these words. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. I would not be comforted." He starts off saying, I cried out to God. I stretch out my hands. I would not give up. And then he says this, and I wouldn't be comforted. What's he saying? It's not saying he wouldn't be comforted by God. He's saying, all kinds of things came my way to comfort me pleasure, entertainment, food, family, relationships. And I realized that my comfort had to be in God and God alone, only him. So he starts out this by honestly saying, I cried out to God for help. I cried out for him to hear me. I was in distress and I sought him that I would not be comforted, not by anything else. I needed God to show up. Some people, when they are experiencing the pain and suffering, the grief and loss that they've gone through, they decide to blame God. They tell them it's his fault. God did this. They believe that the Lord God Almighty personally is after them for something. Now, I don't doubt in any way that at times God brings discipline in our life. Of course, He does to grab our attention in order to bring us to a place of repentance and of following Him more faithfully and more fully. But We will blame God. We'll tell him it's his fault. We'll turn from him instead of toward him. Some people go silent and they just ignore God. Mark again, Vrogop, says this about being silent before God. Giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care, that he doesn't hear, and nothing is ever going to change. People who believe this stop praying, they give up. They give up. And so this psalmist says, I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna seek God. I'm gonna let nothing else comfort me until he responds. But then he's honest. You hear his deep pain, look at this. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night, my heart meditated and my spirit asked. He, he just, he, he shares his deep pain. He says, when I remember God, I actually grow and I, I'm actually like, God, why is this going on? I meditate and what's meditation supposed to do? It's supposed to be refreshing, rejuvenating, renewal. But he says, I meditated, my spirit grew faint. Instead of it being renewing, instead of it being something that was refreshing my soul, the very reverse happened, my spirit grew faint. God, you kept my eyes from closing. Oh, I needed rest. But you wouldn't let me sleep. And I was too troubled to even speak. Now note this, he says, I thought about the former days. This is very interesting. Because I would hold these former days were the glory days. Not the glory days of God, but his glory days. I thought about the former days, my former days. I thought about the days of years gone by. I don't know if you've ever connected with friends from years ago, maybe from a camp experience or from high school, For me, from university or Bible college. And I've done uh, all, two of the three of those, never went to camp as a kid, but but you know, connect with high school friends years later or with friends from university and Bible college. And we'll get together and we'll talk about glory days. And Amy didn't go to high school with me and Amy didn't go to college or university with me. So there you are talking about these glory days and your spouse is like, like never experienced any of those stories. You're laughing about, you're talking about, and of course, they somehow have grown bigger than they ever were in real life, right? Somehow you were a better athlete, somehow you were more academically inclined, somehow the cliff was bigger, the story grew larger. You all know what I'm talking about. And so, as we reminisce, this this psalmist is reminiscing about the glory days, and he says, they didn't comfort me. And then he says, I remembered my songs in the night. He was a seer. And one of the lead musicians in King David's court, he wrote numbers of songs, and some of them were probably pretty good. That's why he's mentioned so much in scripture. And so he received some popularity, had some success. But notice what he calls them, my songs. He's remembering his glory days, he's remembering his songs, and they're not helping at all. So finally he says, my heart meditated, my spirit asked, and he asked these real questions. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has the, his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Let me unpack these, right? A rejecting God, will God reject forever? He calls God a rejecting God. No, it's a question, they're rhetorical questions. Like, God, are you really gonna reject me forever? He's a disinterested God. Will God never show his favor again? God, like, do you not care? You're just disinterested in me? He's a stingy God. He has an unending, inexhaustible love, but he says instead, has God's unfailing love vanished forever? Has his, has his, has his unending, inexhaustible love just vanished? Is it gone? Then he says this, he's a sting, or sorry, He's a, he's an impotent God. Has his promise failed for all time? God, I thought your power decreed your promises couldn't fail, but it seems like your promises won't ever come to fruition. You're an impotent God, unpowerful. You're a forgetful God. You're no longer merciful. You've forgotten to be merciful. And you're an irritated God. In anger, have you withheld your compassion? And so these are the real questions, and maybe you've experienced these real questions. Maybe when you've experienced pain and loss at times you thought, God, where are you? You're not supposed to forget me. Your mercy is supposed to be new every morning. God, your promises are to be fulfilled. God, your love's to be unending. God, where are you? Why do I feel like you can't hear me? Why do I feel as if you don't care? Where is this compassion that you have promised? And he's asked these real questions. One of the comforting things as we are reading through this lament is that we should be able to ask God real questions, to tell him how we feel, to express what we're going through. To be able to say, God, I'm crying out. God, nothing's comforting. God, where are you? Where is your love? Where is your presence? Where is your compassion? Where is your mercy? Are your promises not gonna be fulfilled? And maybe you felt that way in circumstances you found yourself in. You were believing that this relationship you're in was gonna be restored and instead it's fallen apart. God, where are you? You were honoring him with your finances and all of a sudden the bills were mounting through COVID and you thought, God, where are you? Unable to pay some bills, interest beginning to climb. You thought this job you had was secure and now it's gone. God, where are you? You thought your kids were gonna make it through their teenage years well and they've acted in complete and utter rebellion. God, where are you? You thought you had a bill of health, you were careful about what you eat, you exercised faithfully. Now you found your cholesterol's high. You're at risk of heart attack. God, where are you? Never did you think you would be on a diabetic list. God, where are you? And maybe as you've gone through these things, these questions have emerged, and you thought, well, I can't ask that. The psalmist asks these questions, but it's not where he stays. Notice verse 10, he has a determined trust. Then I thought, and to this I will appeal. This is where I'm going, he says. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all of your works and I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Did you hear the transition? He's moved from me, my, I, to God him Lord most high. He's moved his attention from who he is to who God is. And all of a sudden he begins to recount the greatness of his God. He is the most high. He will remember his deeds. He will remember his miracles. He will consider his works. He will meditate on his money deeds. Instead of remembering his glory days, the glory days of the psalmist, he's now gonna recall and recount the Lord's glory days, God's glory days. Instead of just recounting and remembering his song and his success, the success and song of the psalmist, he's now gonna remember God's song and God's success and God's promises. Because our success is fleeting. Our glory days will pass, but God's will remain forever. He is the most high. He is the most high. And so he remembers, he recounts his salvation, God's provision, God's guidance, God's deliverance. One of the things I say to young believers all the time when they've come to faith in Christ recently is I say, one of the things I want you to do as I'm discipling them is I want you to begin to find a way to remember the work of God in your life, the work of God when he saved you, the work of God when he provided for you, the work of God when He directed you, the work of God when He healed you, the work of God when He guided you. I want you to remember the work of God in your life. And maybe it's by writing them down, maybe it's by putting something in in, in your phone or tablet or laptop, but I want you to begin to recall the ways you've seen God answer prayer, the ways you've seen Him show up and display His mighty right arm as the Most High. Because in our low times of lament, of grief and of anguish, we need to be able to come back and say, no, I know God's here. I know he's with me. This is where I've seen him move. This is where I've seen him act throughout this entire build in a project that we were supposed to have completed for $16 million. That is now $22 million, which has been astounding for me. The increase in costs. And at times it has been overwhelming. God has shown himself. And through COVID, he provided $2 million. Previous to that, he provided an an, an additional almost $8 million of donations. Previous to that, another $8 million in government funds. Previous to that, rental facilities at either low cost or no cost. Every step of the way, God has shown himself to be God In this project. And so, in the moments, I'm like, Lord, another 900,000, 3.9 million in total, but 900,000 right now, God, right now. I recount the ways He's provided throughout the whole project. God, this is where we've seen you move. God, this is where we've seen you act. And God, we need you to do it again. It won't do me any good to go back and look at previous strategies, though those strategies may be helpful in moving forward won't do me any good in relying on that. Those are human-made efforts. It's only by the hand of the Lord God Almighty that there will be success in His providing the funds necessary to see us through completion as we move into that building in the next few weeks. It's simply God, so we cry out to Him. We remember Him, we recount His deeds. We recount Him saving us when we're doubting His presence. We remember moments of His deliverance or guidance. We were stuck, we didn't know what to do. We were in this moment, we remember then God guided then God led and that's what the psalmist is doing know what he says he finds himself not only with a determined trust but he's securely grounded and so your ways God verse 13 they are holy what God is great is our God you are the God who performs miracles you display your power among peoples with your mighty arm you redeem your people the descendants of Jacob and Joseph He reminds himself that God's ways are holy, they're perfect, they can be trusted, they are true. He reminds himself that there is no God like God, he is the great God. There's no one like him. He is the one who has created all things, he sustains all things, he redeems all things. He is God and God alone. He reminds himself that he has displayed his power previously, he will do so again and that he has redeemed a people for himself, and he's part of that redeemed people. He reminds himself of the truth and power of God. And then he says this, the waters saw you, God, and the waters saw you and they withered. The very depths were convulsed, verse 17. The clouds poured down water, the heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and quaked. This is just a reminder that creators or creation's creator is creation's Lord. Creation's creator is creation's Lord. God not only has our life in control in his hand, he's got the entire universe in his hand. He is God. He said the very waters withered the very deeps convulsed, the clouds poured down waters all they needed to know is that you were there notice what he says god your lightning it was heard in the world where your lightning lit up the world it's reminiscent when jesus is here and he was on a boat with the disciples and the disciples were afraid jesus was asleep the storm had come up and they felt it was going to tear the boat apart these experienced fishermen who'd Seen lots of squalls on this lake, and this was something else that was fierce. Jesus got up, he looked at the wind and the waves, and he said, quiet, be still. And the wind ceased, and the waves stopped. Why? God's creation recognized his voice. Because the very voice that had called it into existence was the very voice that commanded it to be still. And so he's able, able to calm the storms of our lives, able to stir the waters when necessary, able to show his power. He's reminded the Psalmist of who God is and what God has done. And then verse 19. And so your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. This is a reminder of the Exodus. God, you showed up and you led through the sea. You led through the mighty waters. Even though we didn't see you, we saw your work. We saw your hand. And sometimes you might feel like, well, where is God? I don't see it, but you can see his work. You can see his hand. You know he's been there because you know what's occurred is undoubtedly and assuredly God. It was him. And just like we're reminded here of the psalmist of the great exodus as the great redemption of God's people through the Old Testament, we as those who are part of the New Testament and the New Covenant are reminded of the cross and the exodus there. How on the cross Christ took our place and took our pain and went through more suffering than any of us would ever need go through. He went through hell on the cross so none of us need to. He was forsaken by God so we could be welcomed in. That's what Christ went through on the cross as the wrath of the Father was poured out on him as he experienced the anguishing torment of a crucifixion. As all of that was occurring, he did that for us because he longed to redeem us, to buy us back, to grant us acceptance into his kingdom. He took our sin so he could give us his righteousness. It is glorious good news. And their exodus was temporary. Eventually their promised land was taken from them and given back and taken from them. Our exodus is permanent. We are now aliens and strangers in this world. We are citizens of heaven waiting for Christ to return where he will call us home. It is good news and our hope is anchored in him so then he says this verse 20 you led your people like a flock by the hand of moses and aaron fascinating way to end he reminds his people that they are sheep but that he has provided shepherds a prophet and a priest the prophet moses the priest aaron in fact the 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 priesthood starts out of aaron's aaron's line moses being the prophet are they speaking on behalf of god or you might say speaking on behalf of God to the people. Aaron being the priest who's speaking from the people to God. A priest is the people's representative to God, a prophet is God's representative to the people. And God says, i provided both. And as you lament and bring things to God, you can trust in his character. You can believe in his mighty works. And you can be thankful that he hasn't just redeemed you, he's redeemed the people. And he's provided them in your life. People to help guide you, people to walk with you, people to encourage you. The priestly role was a caring, shepherding, guiding role. Those that would come alongside of you and offer care. The prophetic role was one to direct you to God. And he's saying, i provided you with both. And aren't you thankful that's true even to this day? Prophets in our life to point us to God. This is how God would have us live. This is what God would have us do, priests in our life who remind us of his care and compassion and offer practically to us. And so as we move from complaint to lament, would that not be a great renewed rhythm? That none of us ever complain again. Scripture says that, right? Do all things without complaint. Do everything without complaining. We move from complaint to lament. Lament, a loud cry of anguish. God, this is all messed up that's anchored in his character, nature, promises and deeds. That reminds us that he's still got a plan and he remains on his throne. So we cry out to God in our pain, in our anguish, as he is the only one who can heal, who can restore, who can lift up. We're reminded that he's the Holy One, the great God, who performs miracles, who's powerful among the people. He is our redeemer and he welcomes us in and he grants us favor and he lavishes his love and he fulfills his promises and he's full of mercy and compassion. And I can bring him his pain and trust in his promise because he is our God and he's granted us the greatest gift of all himself, we get him a relationship with him, more anchored as his redeemed people in him. So as a renewed rhythm, would you come to him and lament, believing in your pain, that God will meet you? Oh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but he will meet you. And his compassion and his grace and his mercy and his promise will be yours. Would you pray with me? We're thankful, O God, for this gift of lament, and we confess that it's one that we don't use often and is also frequently misunderstood. Cause us, O God, to turn to you in our pain so that we can be reminded of your character, your deeds, your nature, and trust in your promise. We need you, O God, and some of us very specifically today are thinking of areas in our lives coming out of COVID where we need you. Meet us, we pray, in the powerful, resurrected name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.